So uh, the past couple of weeks, we studied uh, different psalms, um, and I think it was really encouraging just seeing how, you know, in every situation, in every circumstance, there is a song that we can sing, there is a prayer that we can offer, and there's a solution that we can find in, in God. And starting from today, I was, I was praying about this next series, what should we do uh, moving forward. The book that came to my mind was First Timothy. Uh, it's not because my son's name is Timothy. Uh, I did wrestle with this a lot. Um, but it's mainly because I think we're in a season where um, I truly believe that God is moving within our church and there's some new things that are going to take place moving forward. I mean, it's been about a year since I stepped into this role of leading our English ministry, and it's been a blessing. It's also been uh, really challenging as well, and if you understand anything about Timothy, he was a young pastor, new to the ministry, having to lead a church that, that, that is pretty significant, and in many ways, I kind of feel like Timothy. Uh, I can relate to Timothy, uh, and so maybe that's one reason why I'm looking at this book, but I think also um, Timothy is this figure who has followed Paul for a while, and so um, this great apostle Paul, his disciple is Timothy, and in many ways, I feel like our English congregation is kind of like that, that we we had the blessings of, of being partners with our Korean ministry uh, for many, many years, and their leadership and, and their sacrifice really made a difference in our lives. And, but one thing that we are constantly talking about, especially with Pastor Lim, whenever I have a conversation, he's, he's reminding me, you know, James, you have to remember that our days are numbered, that the next generation is you guys. Like, so far, we kind of led you guys to this place, but now you guys have to lead us. And I think a lot of that is true. Now we are seeing really second, third generation families come up and, and really our, our, our congregation is becoming more diverse, multicultural. And, and so I think this is a critical time in many different ways. So far we've been faithful stewards of the gospel. We've been faithful servants. But I think it's also time that we step up and take leadership and also do things for the glory of God. So in many ways, uh, this is, um, Timothy is going to be, First Timothy is going to be a relevant book to us. Now, there's a couple of things that you have to know about uh, the book of First Timothy. Actually, it's not really a book. It's a letter that was written by Paul to Timothy. If you look at verse 1 and 2, it says in verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. So Paul is the writer, and it says in verse 2, to Timothy, my true child in the faith. So Timothy is a recipient, um, and not many of us actually write letters these days, but maybe you can think of an email. So Paul is the sender, so Timothy is the recipient. So this is a personal letter that was written in the first century, a missionary writing to a local pastor. And you might be thinking, now why would I care about that letter? Well, number one, it's really fun to read other people's letters, uh, if you know what I mean, uh, if you have siblings, uh, <laughs> right? Uh, but I think on one level, yes, it is a personal level, a personal letter, but um, Paul makes it very clear that what he's writing here to Timothy is not his personal thoughts. These are words that he has received from Christ Jesus. These are words that, that he knows that God wants um, Timothy to know, and also the church of Ephesus to know, and in extension, the world to know, the church to know. And so let's read verse 1, just one more time. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ 
Jesus, by command of God, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, our hope. So when writing this letter, Paul makes it very, very clear that he's writing this letter as an apostle, someone who is sent by Christ Jesus. That's what the word apostle means. The word disciple means a follower. The word apostle means to be sent. So this is someone who is sent by Christ Jesus. He's making it very clear that he's simply a messenger of Christ Jesus. And he also says that this is by the command of God. So I'm not just writing to you because I have spare time, because I have nothing better to do. I'm writing this letter to you because this is a command that was given to me by God. So this letter, although it is, a pers- it is personal, it's also authoritative. It's a divine letter. So Paul, he's writing to Timothy because God has a word for Timothy and the church. And we know that he has a word for the church because really the key verse to understand the purpose of this letter is 1 Timothy 3, um, 15. I think we have it on the screen, but verse 14 says, I hope to come to you soon. So Paul really wants to see Timothy soon. He has plans to travel to Ephesus soon. But I am writing these things to you so that if I delay in case, you know, something comes up or if in case I don't make it, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and a buttress of the truth. Now, this is quite amazing. Because what Paul is telling Timothy is this, the household of God, the family of God equals the church of the living God. So if you are part of a local church, that means you are part of the family of God. If you believe that you are a believer, a born-again believer, and you call God your father, that also means that you have to be part of the family. You have to join a local church. So the church of the living God is the household of God. That's why we encourage people to commit, to join membership, because this is a calling that God places on every believer, every Christian. But also notice that the household of God equals the church of the living God equals the pillar and the buttress of the truth. So a pillar is something that sustains a ceiling. A buttress is something that sustains a wall. And so what it's saying is this. The church has a responsibility to uphold the truth. You find truth within the church. So truth matters to the church. You know, we live in a day and age where people have different opinions about what the church should look like, how the church should conduct themselves, how the worship service should look like, or what kind of ministries each church should do. Uh, like, and, and what the Bible is telling us today is this. God has a, a specific design, a specific plan for the local church. That he says that this is how you behave. You conduct yourself within the household of God, within the church. So there's a certain way that a church ought to operate. That's what God is saying. And this makes sense because at the end of the day, church was not a man-made idea, but it it came from God. If you read Matthew 16, Jesus simply says, well, upon this rock, I will build my church. I will build, I will build, so Jesus is the builder of the church, my church. The church also belongs to me. So the church belongs to Jesus The church is built by Jesus. Jesus is the designer and the builder of the church. It also says in Ephesians 5, the reason why husbands should love their wives in a sacrificial way is because Christ loved the church. 
in a sacrificial way. Christ gave himself for the church, and the same way husbands are called to love their wives. So notice, even the death, the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it's connected to the church. Jesus died for the church. That's not an overstatement, according to Ephesians 5. If you look at Acts 2, Jesus goes up, he says, someone's going to come down. The Holy Spirit comes down. The very Spirit of God comes down. And what happens? What's the first thing that happens? The church is born. And so understand how God, he deeply cares about his church. And the idea of church comes out from the very nature and heart of God. And so church is important. And it's important that we, we gather as a church according to God's design. And I think that's why First Timothy is so important because in a world that says church can be whatever you want it to be, that a church should adopt to people's needs and their tastes, that we should do all these programs and different things to bring more people within the church. No, God says there's a specific design and a way that we should behave within the church. And it's no surprise that the letter ends by saying, grace be with you all. It doesn't say actually all here. Uh, but if you read in the Greek, it's, the you there is plural. So if, if whoever is translating uh, the ESV Bible was Texan, they would have said you all, right? Grace be with you all. So that's really interesting because it seems like Paul is writing to Timothy, but his intention is to influence the church. That's why he ends with a plural greeting, uh, uh, farewell at the end. So with that in mind, I think 1 Timothy is so relevant to us. So with that, let's focus on uh, the opening words of this letter. It says, once again, in verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Lord. So we talked a little bit, a little bit about Paul. We'll talk a little bit more about Paul next week. But let's focus on Timothy. Who is Timothy? Uh, we first see Timothy uh, appear in Acts 16 when Paul is about to go on his second missionary journey. He meets this young child named Timothy. He's not really a child. He's probably in his late teens or early 20s, but he's relatively young. Paul most likely is in his mid-30s at that point. And so um, Timothy, we're told that his mom is a Jew who's also a faithful believer, but his dad is a Greek. And there's no signs that he's a faithful believer. And actually, later on, Paul talks about how it is through your grandmother and your mother, Timothy, that you got to understand the sacred writings of, of God. And so it seems like uh, the dad was kind of absent in, in all of this, right? Maybe because he's a Greek, um, who knows what happened, but it seems like the, uh, Paul was lacking this godly father figure, but the good news is this, Timothy met Paul, and Paul basically became a spiritual dad to Timothy. And we see that relationship being formed. And so at a young age, Timothy started to follow Paul in different cities um, on this mission trip. And later on, at the end of Acts, we see that Paul is imprisoned in Rome for two years, house arrest. And after those two years, we're told in verse 3 that Paul, while he went to Macedonia, he urged Timothy to go to Ephesus. Now, why is Ephesus so important? Ephesus was the city that 
uh, out of all the cities that Paul visited during his three missionary journeys, he spent the most time at Ephesus for three years. He pastored there. He, he, he equipped the elders there. And that's why before he went back to Jerusalem and then uh, uh, to, to make a final trip to Rome, uh, he gathered all the leaders of Ephesus, the, the church of Ephesus, and he gave this final farewell speech. You can tell how much he loves these people. So he, he, this church is dear to his heart. It's also a very central church as far as missions because he, Paul used this place as a base to spread the gospel all throughout Asia Minor. So this is a big church, uh, an important church. And Paul tells Timothy, I'm going to go to Macedonia. You go there to Ephesus. And you would think it's because Timothy is this great leader, but the Bible, the way that it portrays Timothy is Timothy is not really the leader type. First of all, he's relatively young. We know that he started ministry at a young age in his teens. By the time Paul is writing this letter, 1 Timothy, he's still called young in, 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 in different places. We are told uh, that, that Timothy, uh, he, he, he says, hey, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, it says in, in chapter 5. We also are told uh, that uh, Paul tells Timothy to flee from your youthful passions. And so although Timothy by this time probably is in his mid-30s, so if you are in your mid-30s, you are still young, according to the Bible. Uh, but as a young pastor, he's trying to lead this church, this church that is very, very significant and central to the mission of God. And the other thing that we know about Timothy is it seems like he's pretty shy. And that's why there's a lot of encouragement in Paul's letter to Timothy. Paul says stuff like, well, God gave you a spirit, not of fear, but of love. So don't be afraid. He reminds Timothy in 2 Timothy, don't be ashamed of the gospel. So there's this constant encouragement to Timothy. Why? Because it seems like Timothy is pretty timid, that he's, 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 he's kind of shy. And that's why Timothy has a, a nickname, Timid Timothy. Uh, and so um, he's not necessarily the strong leader type. We also know that he had some health issues. It says in chapter 5, 1 Timothy chapter 5, Paul tells Timothy, hey, drink just a little bit of wine. Not the wine that we know, but like as medicine, right? Take some for your stomach um, because you have frequent illness. So it seems like Timothy had a weak stomach. And so, you know, if you have a weak stomach, you can still, you know, you know that God has a plan for you. God is willing to work around you. Uh, and so, but you kind of have an idea that, you know, just character-wise, Physically, this is not the strongest person that you know. But yet, Paul says, no, Timothy, I want you to go and be the leader at Ephesus, one of the main churches that is serving God's kingdom. Timothy probably thought he was disqualified, that, that he didn't fit, that he's shy, so he doesn't want to confront people. He doesn't want any controversy He's discouraged easily, and to a timid Timothy, who's fairly young, who's doing ministry in a very harsh environment, to a Timothy who people are looking down upon, Paul reminds Timothy who he is. In verse 1 and 2, he says things like this, Timothy, you are my true child in the faith. You have faith. You're a fellow believer, and not only that, God is your father. Jesus is your hope. God is your savior 
and Jesus is your Lord. And out of this relationship, God being your Father, your Savior, your hope, and your Lord, you have grace, mercy, and you have peace. And the same is true for us, I think. I can relate to Timothy because a lot of times it feels like God has given me this incredible task, not just as a pastor, but as a believer, right? The calling as a father, the calling that I have as a Christian is way too big. And sometimes I get intimidated by the calling. But what God reminds us today is this. He didn't call you because you were great in strength or in wisdom. He called you because he is your father. If you are a believer in Christ, he is your father. He is your Lord. He is your hope. And he is, he, and, 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 and he, and he is your savior. And so within that relationship, you have grace, mercy, and peace. And, and so you have all the favor and the blessings of God there. And upon this condition, this is the command that Paul gives Timothy in verse 3. As I urge, encourage you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus. Why? So that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. So the word doctrine, it means truth or instruction. So it's saying here that there are certain things that are happening within the church where people are trying to teach something other than the true doctrine. And I think this is a problem that we have within the church today, right? A lot of times we are scared to, to voice our opinions. We are afraid to speak what is true. Under the umbrella of being politically correct, we avoid confrontation, we avoid conflict, and there are certain times where it's, it's, it's not your business, you definitely don't want to jump in, but when it's a matter of truth, especially when someone's life is dependent on it, then that's when you have to jump in. That's when you have to, you have to say something. If someone is walking down the street, a car is coming, and that person does not notice what's coming, that person thinks that everything is safe, the most loving thing that you can do at that moment is to tell the truth and say, hey, there's a car that's coming, you need to move. When a young child is about to jump off a building or maybe jump out of a, a window, the most loving thing that you can say is not, well, you know, I guess you believe that you have powers to fly, you do what you feels best for you. No, you tell them what is true because you know that, that they're in danger if they are blind to the truth. Now, there are certain things that, that don't matter as much. I mean, if you say these chairs are purple, I'm totally fine with that. If you say that, you know, this carpet is, is green, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that uh, because that doesn't really have any significance when it comes to your personal well-being or danger. But there are certain things in our life that matter. Truth matters. And truth matters to Jesus, by the way, because Jesus says, I am the truth. And he says in front of Pilate that I came to witness to the truth. The Holy Spirit is called the spirit of truth. God cares about truth. But for some reason within the church, we are so afraid to talk about what is true. Like when we talk about Jesus with people, like, and, and people are talking about Jesus being a certain person um, you know, in, in a way that you kind of understand that's definitely not biblical. We're still afraid to offend people, to correct them, to tell them, well, that's actually not what I see in the Bible. How do you get that idea? Where do you, under, 
how do you understand that, like, from God's word? Like, we're afraid to confront people because we live in a day and age where truth doesn't really matter. In a postmodern world, truth is relative. That truth is not objective, it's subjective. People can decide what's good and true for them. And a lot of people would say, it's not your business to talk about truth to other people. But the Bible tells us, well, Paul tells Timothy, truth matters. What you believe matters. And so he says, stop the people who are teaching false doctrines or different doctrines, different teaching, different truth. Now, what are some characteristics that we see um, about these false teachers? Number one, they are fascinated with things outside of the Bible. It says in verse 4, these false teachers, they devote themselves to myths and endless genealogy. So instead of understanding the word of God, what they're trying to do is this. Either they look at genealogies and try to find the hidden meaning behind a certain verse. Instead of just taking it plainly, they're trying to come up with all these theories and, and hidden meanings that they think are very cool. They think that it's extra, extra spiritual. They think that that makes them more holy. And they focus on myths, different stories outside of the Bible. At Paul's time, there exists different letters or, or writings that people were trying to uplift at sacred writings uh, that were not about Jesus. And what Paul is saying is this, be aware of people who are so focused on getting their information outside of the Bible. And we do this all the time, don't we? People can talk about the church, about Jesus, and you ask them, where did you get that information? And they would say, in a blog, in a YouTube video. I heard about the end times. I mean, that's, that's great. But my question is, what does the Bible say about the end times? What does the Bible say about Jesus? What does the Bible say about church? We form all these different opinions. We have all these different thoughts. But the problem is that those thoughts and those opinions are are, are, are formed not within God's word, but outside of God's word. And that's exactly what the people were doing in the church of Ephesus. And Paul is saying, be aware of these people. Number two, because they bring stuff outside of the Bible and try to find hidden meanings within the Bible, the Bible says that they promote speculation. It says in verse 4, they promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. Because they bring stuff outside of the Bible and something that doesn't exist within the Bible, they create confusion, they create deception that ultimately leads to division. No, they focus on the wrong things and therefore they begin to teach the wrong things. And this is how you know, by the way, if someone is a faithful teacher of God's word. The outcome, the fruit of that teaching, is it just speculation Meaning that, oh, that's a great thought. Or does that person's teaching, does it promote stewardship from God? What is stewardship? Stewardship is basically partnership. God is entrusting us with something to be stewards of something. So in other words, you're a manager of what God has given you. Like you don't get to live your life according to your will or your ways, but you are a steward. If you are a steward, you follow the leader, the master that, 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 that you're responsible to. And so what the Bible is telling us today is sound doctrine, truth, leads to godly stewardship. It would, want to make, it would make you want to live for God. It would transform your life that you would want to do things for the glory of God and for the good of others. Well, different doctrines, they would lead you to, to have intellectual conversations and intellectual debates, but your life will be unchanged. 
nothing will change. You would have a good time in this life group discussion, and you go home, and nothing would have changed in your life. That's the difference between sound doctrine and false doctrine and biblical teaching and false teaching. A third thing that we see among these false teachers who taught different doctrines is this. Their discussions are empty. Their discussions are empty. They lead to empty discussions rather than love. And so look at verse 5. It says this, The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and sincere faith. Verse 6, Certain persons by serving from these have wandered away into vain discussions. So the reason why we try to understand the Bible, the reason why we teach the Bible, the reason why we try to understand the Bible, the reason why we hold fast to the Bible is because of love. The outcome is always love. Jesus, when he was asked the question uh, by this, this expert of the law, Jesus, what is the most important commandment in the Old Testament? And Jesus simply summarizes his entire Old Testament, well, love God and love God others. In Matthew 22, he summarizes the entire Old Testament. In other words, he says, the point of teaching, the point of God's word is not simply to put, install fear in your heart, but it's love. This word is teaching you how to love God. And this word is teaching you how to love others. And, and if whatever teaching you're receiving is not leading you to love God more, and it's not leading you to love others more, then there's a problem. Because the outcome of biblical teaching is always love. If not, you're just having vain discussions. That's what the Bible is saying. And, and fourth, and this is a problem in verse 7, it says, the people who are teaching the law, they actually don't understand it. These, these, these false teachers, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertion. So they're incredibly arrogant and confident. However, they're super ignorant because they don't understand what they're saying. And we, we did all, we, we done this before as, as people. Like, if someone asks a question, like, we try to say, state an answer. Like, we don't want to look, be looked down upon. We want to prove to other people that we know our stuff. I'm, I'm one of those people. Like, I always try to give an answer. And I learned the hard way. Okay, that's probably not the best idea. There are times where you have to humble yourself and simply say, I don't know. I think humility is so important in the Christian life. For some reason, though, for these teachers, they think they know everything. And they speak as if they know everything when in reality there's a lot of things that they do not know. Even Paul, he talks about how there's a lot of things in the gospel that is a mystery to me, and yet there's so many teachers out there that would say, no, like, we know everything about God's word. And the, what's driving their heart is not necessarily true knowledge, but it's wanting, the desire to be wanting to, to be lifted up by others, to be appreciated by others. So we kind of see all these different things um, within these false teachers, and we see that there are people who are teaching different doctrines um, within the church. And this was a problem because, again, these different doctrines were causing division within the church. And the same is true with our church today, right? We have so many different denominations. We have so many different churches who believe in different things. And this is causing division. The reason why the church is dividing is not because it lacks resources. It's not because it's persecuted. The reason why the church is dividing is because it lacks truth. And so, to summarize all of this, Paul says this in verse 8. Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. There's no problem teaching the law. Um, 
but you have to teach it rightly. Verse 9, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient. And then he gives a long list of people who are lawless, which in every single one can be connected to uh, the Ten Commandments, which is kind of the standard of the Old Testament law. And then at the end, it says this, whatever else is contrary to the gospel. So what is lawless is connected to whatever else is contrary to the sound doctrine in verse 11, in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. So the main point that Paul is trying to make in the opening statement of his letter is this. Guard the gospel because that is what matters at the end. Guard the gospel because at the end, that's what matters. Like the sound doctrine. So, so far we talked about what's, what's like to teach a different doctrine, what's like to preach a different doctrine. But at the end, Paul simply says this, sound doctrine is in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. There's so much that's there, but one thing that we have to recognize is this. If we don't have this common understanding of the gospel, if we don't have a common belief about the gospel, the church will be divided. The church cannot advance God's kingdom. The church will fall apart. There are certain things that we need to believe about the gospel. Notice that it's not saying sound doctrine equals the gospel. It's saying that really sound doctrine flows out of the gospel. There are certain things that we have to agree upon as a church. And by studying the letter of 1 Timothy, we're going to see those different things. And why is this important? Because your understanding of the gospel determines everything about your life. Your understanding of the gospel determines how you view God. It determines how you view yourself. It determines how you view other people. It determines how you view the world. It determines how you view your marriage. It determines how you view parenting. It determines how you view your work. It determines how you view the church. It determines how you look at salvation. It determines how you look at satisfaction and joy in life. It determines how you look at the end times, what's going to happen at the end. If your understanding of the gospel is not the same, then we disagree on all these different things because our worldview, our understanding of God, our understanding of our, of our lives, it all comes out from this simple truth. That God, that he's the maker and creator of all things and everything is accountable to him. He is the creator, everything else is creation. That he is the Lord and king over all things and we are created in his image, in his likeness so that we can live for his glory and, be, uh, and, and, and live within his good presence. However, the essence of sin is us wanting to be God. The essence of sin shows that we are actually sinful, that we are selfish, self-centered, and we don't belong with a holy God. And that's a problem because sin separates us from God. And that's a key issue. And why is that an issue? Because God, he's the source of good, source of life, the source of peace, the source of joy. And when you're disconnected from the source of good, peace, joy, and life, what's left? Chaos, confusion, death, tears, sickness, and so sin is a problem, and that's why Jesus is good news, because he is the ultimate solution. He is God, but also he came in the flesh as a man, and he's the one who restores us, reconciles us, saves us, so that we can be with God. And so helps, the gospel helps you understand who God is, who you are without God, what Christ has done for you, and what you can have in 
Christ. So guard the gospel. Some people would say, well, all we need is Jesus. Everything else in the church is secondary. It doesn't really matter. Well, there's some truth to that statement. Jesus is definitely central to everything that we do. But really, if we simply say Jesus is enough and we can dis- disagree on everything else, I mean, that sounds very, very spiritual because, I mean, who can go against the name Jesus? But if you think about it, that statement itself doesn't really make sense. Because once you begin to ask the question, well, what about Jesus is, is it enough? Like, what about Jesus um, is, 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 is all that we need? Like, once you begin to ask that question and you have to explain, well, this is why Jesus is all enough, this is why Jesus is, is all that we need, well, you have walked into the realm of not the gospel, but the realm of truth. Because there are certain truths that form the gospel. It's kind of like this. I can say that I love my wife. And you ask the question, well, how tall is your wife? And I say, I don't know. You say, what's the color of her eyes? I say, well, I'm not really into the color of the eyes. And, you know, what's her favorite food? Well, eh, she kind of eats everything. (laughs) Then you begin to question, does this person really love his wife? I mean, can this person actually identify his wife in the midst of a crowd? I think the same is true about many people who say, I love Jesus, but know nothing about Jesus. The question is, do you know Jesus and what he's done for you? If we don't agree on this, we collapse as a church. So my hope in these next coming weeks is that we will be consumed with the gospel, that we be a church that is centered around the gospel. If this is the one thing that we need to guard, that we'll put all our effort, our resources to guard the gospel and make that central in everything that we do. And when we do that, I pray that we would experience the same blessing that Timothy has experienced, the grace, mercy, and peace that comes with Jesus being our Lord, with God being our Savior, with Christ being our hope, with with. God being our Father, all those different things. I pray that we will experience that, that God will use our church for his glory and for the good of the nations. Let's pray.